Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. I am Andrew, an autistic certified financial planner. I co-run Adulting on the Spectrum with Eileen Lamb. Hey, Eileen. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. Today, our guest is Erin Burnett. Erin is a 23-year-old autistic woman from Northern Ireland, diagnosed at 18. She is the author of two books, a fantasy novel for children, and a nonfiction book about autism and the church. Hey, Erin, thank you for joining us today. I know it's late for you, so we're happy you could uh, you could make it. Uh, we want to start by asking you what... Uh, identity language uh, you use. And I'm talking about pronouns, but also a person with autism, autistic person. What's your preference? Uh, well, with pronouns, she, her. And when it comes to identity language, I honestly use them both interchangeably. I really don't mind. So either is okay with me. Awesome. Same with us. Except Audie. I really don't like Audie, the slang. I think that's the only one. And I don't have a good reason for it. Like, I won't correct anyone for using it. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, I see it in writing in groups. Yeah. It's like like a shortcut, like almost like slang, kind of like internet. I just, I don't know why. I have no reason. But um, anyway. So, Eric, you were diagnosed at 18. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like, what changed in your life, when, what didn't? So I was diagnosed in my final year of high school after goodness, many years of just at a terrible time in school in general. I just, for a reason I couldn't articulate, I just couldn't make friends with people my age. But academically, I was fine. So I don't think my problems were picked up as early as they could be because my academics were fine, but socially it, it wasn't great, which of course then wasn't good for my general mental health and self-esteem, which is how I ended up seeing a counsellor. And it was that counsellor who then recognised the signs of autism in me, and I'm very grateful to her for this, and she then referred me on for a diagnosis. However, in the UK, the waiting list for an adult diagnosis, I think it was about three years. It was crazy. So I was really, really fortunate that as a family, we were able to afford a private assessment immediately, whereas I know most people wouldn't be able to do that and would be stuck waiting three years. So I was really fortunate in that regard. And yeah, the assessment... I actually went through a child assessment, even though I was 18, because I'd literally just turned 18. So, and I found it, I found it very helpful. It was just an opportunity to talk basically about myself, my experiences, what I found difficult. And at the end of the assessment, which I think was about, I think it was about four hours in all over different sessions. Yeah, we came to the conclusion that, well, back then we still called it Asperger's. I think we still use Asperger's in a certain part of the world. It's another part of the world that's gone out of favour, but that's what they said I had, Asperger's or autism. And for me, it was a it was a really good experience because up until that point, you know, all I knew about autism was the stereotype that it was young boys and that was it. 
I never really considered that that could have been the reason why I was struggling so much. So it was really good for me because it helped me understand myself that it wasn't my fault. It was also quite good timing because I was just about to go to university, which meant then support could be put in place by the university. And I had a really nice support worker. In fact, I still have a support worker who meets me once a week. And yeah, it was very positive and things just got a lot better from there. And uh, can you tell us a bit more about your experience with uh, Christianity and how was that impacted like before and after your diagnosis? Any, anything changed? So in, in Northern Ireland, where I'm from, like religion and the church, it's, it's very much part of the culture. I think we have the highest church attendance in Western Europe last time I checked. So it, even, even if someone doesn't personally believe, it's still just part of the culture. So I've always grown up going to church and Christian events. And it was actually really helpful for me, particularly at the time when I was really struggling at school because... I think it's the case for a lot of autistic people. We tend to get on better with people who are older or younger than us rather than our peers. And the church was a multi-generational community. So that was actually really helpful for me in that time. After my diagnosis, I think I was able to recognize certain negative tendencies in myself when it came to faith and work on it. So, for example, I used to take everything extremely literally, which is a very autistic thing to do. But unfortunately, that meant I became quite, I suppose you would say, judgmental towards others because I was taking it all so literally. But, you know, once I got my diagnosis and I understood myself a bit more and I read into things more, yeah, I think it just helped me become a bit more chill. <laughs> was the church uh, accepting of your diagnosis? It was, yeah. I think for a lot of people, in fact, for most people, it was the first time they'd ever seen like an adult with autism. And I think I got quite a lot of the, you know, you don't look autistic, which is yeah, well-meaning. But... Yeah. yeah, I think so, we've all heard it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they were generally supportive. I never came across the sort of some of the horror stories you read online people like being exercised of demons or whatever. No, there was none of that. <laughs> Good, yeah. I've read those <laughs> horrific, not long ago too, you know, like you would think that something from yeah. the past, but no. Yeah. It was, uh, it went viral on, uh, on, on Twitter, I think, uh, like a pastor that was trying to exercise uh, autistic yeah. children or something. Like, I'm glad it wasn't your experience. <laughs> Can you tell us what you think the, the church either, you know, doesn't get right? Um, and again, either anything regards to, you know, you or um, and then what, you know, do they, you know, get right? So, well, we already mentioned, you know, the really extreme cases that are thankfully rare, but it still shouldn't happen. You know, that autism is seen as demon possession or something ridiculous like that. That's obviously really not helpful for anyone involved. There's also, I suppose, things that apply really to any mass gathering. There can be a lot of sensory overload, particularly in the very modern churches that are more like concert halls. It can be really, really difficult. Like I remember going to 
like a really modern church and I just had to leave quite soon because it was so loud there was like strobe lights it was yeah but of course that doesn't mean they have to fundamentally change the way they do things because that's good for a lot of people they just need to recognize oh for some people this might be the best and there are certain things they can put in place to make it better quite simple things so you know you could give out earplugs or if it really is so loud that you can't be in the main hall, what some churches do is that they have a quiet room where they broadcast it, which can be much nicer. So there's ways of getting around it. So out of all the religions out there, which one do you think is the most inclusive to autistic people? Hmm. I think particularly when it comes to freedom of thought I think the the Unitarian Universalists they tend to be the most accepting of different ways of thinking and there's a big emphasis on finding a path that works for you rather than a path that's been imposed on you by someone else so yeah I think if an autistic person had never been to a religious organization before and was thinking of where to go probably the UU would be a good place to start also the Quakers the Quakers are slightly more like overtly Christian, but they still have, you know, a lot of emphasis on free thought and diversity. So traditions like that. So you talked about what, uh, when right, what the church gets right um, and some of the extreme cases of what they get wrong. Uh, is there anything else you think they get wrong, like in the least, ex- in a least extreme way? It's not necessarily wrong, but particularly in like Protestant circles, there's a big emphasis on personal relationship with Jesus or personal relationship with God. And I think I speak for a lot of autistic people and the research backs this up as well. Autistic people don't tend to think in a supernatural way, at least in comparison to neurotypicals. So for me, I found that sort of language of personal relationship with Jesus not particularly helpful for me I preferred to look at other ways so for example I I see it as a very practical thing you know I want to live like Jesus follow his teachings but I don't necessarily have that same real supernatural element to it that a lot of neurotypicals would have and I think the church just needs to acknowledge that that can be you know that can be tricky for autistic people we can't help the way we think and just helping us to creatively think of ways that we can still still engage with our faith communities, but in a way that fits the way we think. Makes sense. Um, I heard that you were cancelled, for lack of a better word, for <laughs> using a person-first language. What happened? Uh, it was a funny experience. So after I first got diagnosed and I did a bit of research on it when I was at university, I started publishing a few articles and different websites and just talking about autism, the church, my experience. I was blissfully unaware of all the, all the divides in the online autism community until one of my articles ended up getting pulled. So it was published and then unpublished. And I think I emailed them and it was like, what's going on and yeah amongst a whole lot of other 
reasons. One of the things was, yeah, people had complained because I used first-person language. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't used all the most up-to-date terminology. They disagreed with some of the opinions I had about autism. But I was thinking, you know, that's my experience. You're, you're perfectly entitled to disagree with me and present your other experience. But no, I think, yeah, I think the online autism community, it's not accepting enough of different views, which can be quite challenging. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, very, very true, unfortunately. Uh, who published it and then unpublished it like that's crazy like you said it's like it's an opinion piece you're sharing your side you know your story it's not like you're speaking on behalf of the entire community uh so i i don't understand why they would like unpublish it because you use what they think is the wrong language was that like a university website or what was it no it was a church group and You know, I won't name them because overall they do very good work. They're about disability in the church. But I think their argument was, you know, we can't publish anything that's going to upset people. I was like, okay, fine. Wow. But <laughs> so the church was aware of those things, though. I mean, that's pretty surprising. I feel like the fact that they knew that this would be controversial. I think it's only in quite niche you know, like disability activism circles within the church, I think as a whole it's not quite as divided. Damn. <laughs> Do you have a resource for when somebody, you know, might feel, you know, excluded from their faith community um, where they should, you know, go and what they should do? Like, for example, you, must it, you mentioned Protestant, right? And that, you know, a lot of what they encourage may not be aligned or just other forms of exclusion. Somebody who... Uh, resources where they could go? Yeah, so of course it will depend on location, but in the UK we have an organization called Inclusive Church, which as the name suggests, is all about making the church inclusive for, well, disability is one of their categories, but also for many other categories like race, sexuality, gender, etc. So an organization like that, which has loads of articles and books, can be a really helpful place to start. In America, there is an organization called the Autism Faith Network, which was founded by, I think, yeah, a mother of autistic sons, I think. And like they're really good at just thinking of practical ways that churches can be more inclusive of neurodiversity. So there, there's people out there providing resources. Thank you for on sharing the, that with us. On that uh, topic, how do you think uh, Christian uh, teaching, you know, uh, people about tolerance uh, can help the autism community with its divide? Uh... Yeah, so much of the New Testament is parables and stories about tolerance and accepting of difference. So, for example, there's quite there's the famous parable of the good samaritan where so the samaritans were the religious group that no one really liked but in the story it was the samaritan who was better than everyone and a lot of these stories are just about challenging our perceptions there's also parts of the new testament that deal with some of the very first churches and just like 
any organization made up of humans, there were loads of disagreements, loads of infighting, everyone was falling out. And what the New Testament authors try to do is to encourage them to think what we have in common. In a Christian sense, what we have in common is that we want to follow Christ. All these other disagreements are just getting in the way of our true mission. So I think I would say, particularly with the autism thing, everyone is very much entitled to their own views. They should be referred to however they want. They can think about autism however they want. But at the same time, the church should be a safe space where conflicting views can coexist. I think that also applies for parents, because I mean, you'll know this. Parents get dreadful pushback whenever they talk about how hard it is to raise autistic children. That doesn't mean they don't like their children, of course not. They're just acknowledging how hard it is. And sometimes they can get horrible comments online, like, oh, you're a bad parent, etc. I would really hope that the church, if it is going to be a caring community, would be able to accept these people, accept their challenges, and not criticize them. And let's hope that maybe the autism community can get there as well. But that sounds a little, uh, I, I, I count on an organization that's been around for, you know, a few thousand years changing before the autism community um, <laughs> at this point. So, um, so one thing that I have read, um, and I have no studies to back this up and anything beyond my own personal belief or experience is that the, and I'm using the term majority, knowing that I'm not pretending, yeah. not, not, not in the super, the majority as a fact, just my understanding is um, that are, are atheist or agnostic, the majority of autistics. Um, is that true? Um, I am, so the majority in my current room, but, and that could just be the people I'm around anyway. Um, is that true? And if so, why do you think that is or higher than average percent of the population? No, it, it definitely is true. Yeah, I did some research on it while I was at university because I found it really interesting. And there's there's multiple papers that demonstrate that, yeah, autistic people are more likely to be atheist or agnostic. And the reasons for that, a big reason is that we tend to think more empirically. And by that, I mean, you know, things we can experience. We don't tend to engage in what's called teleological thinking, which just means seeing some sort of grand purpose to everything. We are more likely just to see things as they are and not necessarily ascribe a higher purpose to anything. You know, it just is what it is. It happens because it happens. That sort of view tends to be more common. Yes, the one reason was that as a whole, they don't tend to look for some sort of overarching purpose compared to neurotypicals. Autistic people have also been demonstrated to have less of a, what we call sensus divinitatis. And that just means, you know, a sense of something supernatural. Neurotypicals talk about this quite a lot. You know, they talk about, well, in a Christian sense, you know, having a relationship with Jesus or even in other religions or no religion, there's still lots of talk of just general spirituality, which for a lot of autistic people, they just can't relate to. And of course, it's not everyone. There is, I know many autistic people in the church who have absolutely no problem with 
believing in everything supernatural, but for a lot of us, yeah, we just don't naturally think that way. We tend to be more logical, empirical, and that can prevent us from, you know, believing in, you know, some of the supernatural aspects of the Bible. So in my research, I wanted to think, okay, so it is what it is. There's no point in forcing someone to try and think in a way that they just can't. You know, I tried to do that for a long time. I felt like a terrible Christian, but instead, I think what the church needs to do is just accept that this is how some people think, but they still have a lot to offer the church. You know, like I was saying, a lot of faith comes down to, you know, it's it's more about what you do than what you believe, some of it. So, and this applies to Christianity, but it also applies to a lot of religion. It's all about tolerance, trying to follow the example of Jesus, also living in community. There's a lot of good things that can be gained from being part of a religious community, even if you struggle with the supernatural elements, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. That was uh, my thinking when uh, Andrew's the question was that autistic people are more like down to earth, logical. Yeah. And it, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'd be curious to uh, read the uh, actual studies and uh, on, on the numbers. Yeah, so, so I, for I would example, be a great oh, tra- transition to asking about her book, by the way, which was your next question. <laughs> but I know. Yeah, you screwed that up. So, but I'm really <laughs> interested in this. So, I'm going to ask questions. I I was going to add so for example just to give an example of how we could maybe look at things so take a bible story like I don't know Adam and Eve in the garden some people believe that is literal fact and it happened okay others like me might struggle with it because you know there's elements like talking snakes etc that we're just like nah However, that doesn't mean it's useless to us. There's still a lot we can gain from the story. It teaches us, you know, that humans are made in God's image. It teaches us that we have the tendency to sin and mess things up. You can still get a lot of meaning from stories without having to take them hyper-literally, if that makes any sense. And speaking of stories, uh, (laughs) tell us more about your latest book. So I did my final dissertation on everything we've been talking about on autism in the church, and I wanted to make it more readable because, well, academia, only like five people read it if you publish something academically. So working with a very nice person who also used to go to the same university as me and would send publishing books, he offered to help me turn it into a proper book. So we now have with all your mind autism and the church which is it's a very short book on purpose because i wanted it to be accessible and not too wordy and it just it condenses all my research it talks about you know the studies and autism and religion and it also looks into what the church does well what they can do better and it includes stories from other people so it's not just me banging on there's other people talking about their experiences and yeah so far it's been it's been well received across a wide variety of traditions so 
it's not just you know my protestant tradition like i've got catholic friends who have read it and found it useful so it's it's been it's been a fun experience where can people find the book and where can they find you like on social media if you're on social media or so on facebook i'm erin burnett author I always have to add the author in because there's a CNN newsreader with the same name, which is really annoying when it comes to marketing. Um, my website is erinburnettauthor.co.uk. And on that website, there's links to where you can buy my books. And I have a blog and yeah. Cool. I'm going to ask you some uh, quick fire questions now. So basically <laughs> you tell me, First answer that comes to your mind. No overthinking. I know it's hard, but we can do this. <laughs> what is your favorite uh, music or band type of music? Have you heard of Snow Patrol? Yes. Yes. I, I, I don't know if they're even a thing in America, <laughs> but they're a Northern Irish band who have ended up being quite famous. I do like them. <laughs> I like a lot of alt rock. Eileen doesn't do anything cool at all. She's still <laughs> never seen Star Wars. So I wouldn't expect her to know cool alt rock bands. So. <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Diet Coke. Love Diet Coke. Yes, it's the best. <laughs> What's your favorite fictional portrayal of autism uh, in the media? Oh. Have you heard of the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Andrew, it's, what is it? it it's a, well, it's both a British book and it's been made into a play. The play is gorgeous, but it, it's all about an autistic boy who's trying to solve the mystery of who killed his neighbor's dog. But it's a really sensitive portrayal, I think, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> What's your, uh, what was your dream job as a child and uh, what did you want to be? Oh, I went through so many different things. I think the earliest thing I ever wanted to be was a vet, as I think a lot of people do, because animals are cute. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay, this one is a very important question. Is glow in the, in the, is glow in the dark a color, a property? Or both? The property, surely. So when you see that like yellow color of glow in the dark with its with the lights on. Yeah, the color's what, still yellow. But it's but it's but it's specifically, you're like, that's glow in the dark. No? Only neon property? Neon? Yeah, but what color is it? It's a color. You see that? What other color would you call it? Neon. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, though. We should always ask it. And then... Uh, the big issues. <laughs> oh, can we do that? Yeah, Eileen, let's start it. Okay. Okay, okay we're going with uh, the first one ever. We're starting it. We're going with... Um, we'll do it with... We always end with with this question. That would make me so happy. We need, yeah. we need to do this. Um, we'll so, yeah, only a property. Yeah, <laughs> only a property. Okay, thank you. So take notes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great having you. Uh, we never talked about this subject, so it's uh, really interesting. So yeah, no, this was a great conversation. It's not something like I said that we um, we haven't really interviewed someone for, and it, it's an important topic. 
So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for staying late. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.